we're going to be in the book of Habakkuk uh, tonight, uh, an Old Testament uh, minor prophet. Uh, maybe it's uh, one of those letters you haven't spent much time in, so maybe it'll take a little while uh, to find that uh, within the, the 12 minor prophets. But if you'd like to turn again to Habakkuk, uh, we're going to be studying this letter here this evening. Uh, before we get into that, I'll ask you a question. Uh, do you find it hard to, you know, and again, this is a, a sort of a sports question, but do you find it hard to maybe have to root for your rivals from time to time? You know, that, that happens from time to time. Uh, there are some teams or some schools that, you know, you'll say that you'll never, ever root for. And you might be one of those people who uh, go to the extreme saying, you know, I would never wear their colors, their color scheme. Uh, I know people uh, who would say that they would never drive through that particular state because they can't uh, stand them. And there's some very intense rivalries out there. You know, uh, again, drawing on some of my uh, past uh, living in Michigan, I know that uh, there are some who profess to be Michigan Wolverine fans who, you know, won't say the, the word Ohio State. You know, they'll just refer to them as that school in Ohio. And then in contrast, the people who live in Ohio, you know, especially on the week that they're playing Michigan, they won't say words that, that have the word M in it. You know, they'll cross out an M. Uh, they'll pronounce words without the M in it. Uh, they go to that extreme. And, you know, again, you probably can think of some own of your own from maybe some more local schools as well. But again, sometimes it comes down to the last game of the season and you might be forced to root for your rival, uh, for that team that you just can't stand. You need them to beat the team that they're playing, but, and it happens all the time, but it's not a good feeling to root for your rival. Now, uh, hold that thought here for a moment, because again, uh, we're going to be in the book of Habakkuk, and this is a pretty interesting book and, or, or letter. Uh, it's unique in the, the sense of how Habakkuk gets his message. You know, most of the time, uh, in the other prophets, you know, God speaks directly to those prophets, and then those prophets in return will speak that message to the people, and he'll also write it down for them and preserve it. But here in this book, it's different because there's this dialogue going back and forth between the prophet and God. And we're going to notice that here in a moment. Matter of fact, I'll just go ahead and put that up on the board uh, that, that we're just going to leave this up here as we go through this book. But we'll notice that at first Habakkuk's going to speak in the first four verses and then God's going to respond to that. Habakkuk's going to speak again, verses 12 through 17 in chapter one, and God's going to respond to that all of chapter two. And then Habakkuk is going to give this prayer at the end in uh, chapter three. Uh, not only is it unique in that way, but again, it's unique in the fact that God is going to use the rivals, if you will, uh, of Judah, of the Israelites, of God's children, uh, referred to as the Chaldeans. Uh, we might remember them more as the Babylonians, uh, but Habakkuk's going to refer to them as the Chaldeans. He's going to use them to punish Judah, to punish God's people. And Habakkuk is going to ask these great questions in this book that, that's really familiar, why we might be familiar with this book. He's going to, first off, he's going to talk about how long, God, how long are you going to allow this, the, this evil to happen uh, and this wickedness to go on among your people? And then he's going to ask another question, basically saying, you know, how can you root for our rival? How can you use this wicked nation to punish us? 
Again, so what I'd like to do for this evening uh, and the few minutes we have together is just to become acquainted with this book, this letter. Again, it's only three chapters. Examine Habakkuk's questions and the responses that God has for him. Well, why? Because as we go through this, you might say, you know, that sounds a little bit familiar. You know, I've said that before. I've asked God those same things. I've claimed those same things. You know, God, this is not fair. Or why are you letting evil prevail? Or are you even paying attention? You know, why do I even bother to pray? And a lot of times we make those claims out of anger. And so we can learn from God's responses uh, in these chapters. And also we can learn from Habakkuk how, re- how he responds to what God tells him. And so we also can learn a little about, about the nature of God. And we're not going to take the time to read every single verse in this chapter, but we'll review a select few. Habakkuk is, you know, just to kind of give you the context, he's prophesying in a time right before Judah goes into captivity. So if you want to think of maybe a major prophet who's prophesying at this time, it'd be about the time that Jeremiah, you know, Jeremiah is preaching uh, to the people before captivity and during captivity. And so Habakkuk's right there, right uh, before the people go into captivity. It's during the reign of King Josiah. Uh, we remember King Josiah, the last good king of Judah. Remember, he's the boy king who begins his reign at eight years old. But we're going to notice that you know, things are going to start going south for Judah as well. This is about 600 years before Jesus uh, will come on the earth. There's not too much else known about Habakkuk. He's not mentioned anywhere outside of this letter. Uh, we don't know his occupation. We don't know where uh, he grew up, like maybe we do with some of the other minor prophets. And again, when I say minor prophets, they're those 12 books that are referred to as minor. Not that the, the, the people were insignificant, but that their, their letters are you know, a lot smaller compared to the major prophets like Ezekiel and Daniel and Jeremiah and Isaiah. But Habakkuk is one of the 12 minor prophets. And again, he is not mentioned anywhere else within Scripture. Well, let's, uh, if you're there, uh, notice in chapter 1, this first question that Habakkuk has for God. Uh, you know, he's going, he, he sees that things are pretty bad in Judah. Uh, and he knows that the, their destiny is to go into captivity. And so look at this complaint that he lodges. Uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 2, uh, he says this about his own nation. How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contentions arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surrounds the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. How long, O oh Lord? You know, that, that uh, question, it rings. How long, O oh Lord, are you even concerned? Do you even hear me? Are, why aren't you saving me, the prophet says? Why must I see this immorality? Uh, why is no one following the laws? It doesn't make sense, right? You are a just God. How are you allowing this to happen? Do you look around at this world that we're living in today and ask those same questions, those same things? Where's the judgment? You know, where's the justice? How long will you let them trample over your name, God? Again, we ask those same questions. Look at God's response in verses 5 through 11. Because he's basically going to say, I'm going to send those Chaldeans to punish Judah. Verse 5, look among the nations 
observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days. You would not believe it if you were told. I love that verse. You would not even believe what's going on even if I told you, right? Just watch. You know, we, we don't know what God is doing even today in his providence. Um, would we believe it if he told us? I mean, that's basically what he's saying here. Uh, it makes you wonder what's going on in the nations today that God has set in action uh, to maybe, you know, punish a nation down the road. It happened in the Old Testament times. It certainly could happen today as well. And look at verses six through seven. He says, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. I'm raising up the, these people, these Chaldeans. Again, uh, we might remember them better as the Babylonians, and, and they will be my tool of judgment against Judah, God says. And this is what type of people are. Again, we're not going to have time to read all these verses, but he says in verse 6, they're fierce and impetuous people. It means they're hasty, right? They just go for it. Uh, they're dreaded and feared, verse 7. Verse 8 says, not only are they dreaded and feared, but their horses. Their horses are swifter than leopards. They're, they're keener than wolves. And in verse 10, he says, they mock kings. You know, they don't care about other authorities. You know, we could, uh, you remember uh, King Nebuchadnezzar? who, you know, is probably the most famous of the Babylonian kings, the Chaldean kings. Well, his father was named Nabopolassar. And then there's a story about him in 2 Kings chapter 25, where he takes one of the kings of Judah, uh, King Zedekiah, and he slaughters Zedekiah's sons in front of his very own eyes. Slaughters his sons. And not only that, he then has Zedekiah blind. Right? So that, that's the last thing that Zedekiah sees is his, his sons being executed. His last visible memory. Right? They mock kings, Habakkuk says. They laugh at every fortress, verse 10. Right? They come into your city and they look at your fortress and they just laugh at it. They know it's not going to stand a chance against them. And the verse 11 says, uh, Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on, but they will be held guilty. They whose strength is their God. They're going to be held guilty, uh, God says. Uh, although how uh, strong and great and mighty they are, eventually they are going to be held guilty. Habakkuk is concerned that God's not doing anything. And again, we have those concerns as well sometimes. We sure do. God says, I am, but I am working. You just don't see it yet. You're not going to believe it even if I told you. Look at verses 12 through 17, because Habakkuk has a rebuttal to that question. Now he's going to turn his attention to the Chaldeans. He says, is it right to use a wicked nation to punish a nation that is less wicked? You know, he's probably at this point a little bit more uh, confused than ever uh, what's going on. In verse 12, he recognizes God's eternity and his holiness. But then he says, but are they they're going to be our judge? Uh, they're going to be the one that's going to do the correcting Verse 13, your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? You know, Habakkuk's you know, basically saying, how can you hold your tongue uh, with all of this going on? How can you use a nation more wicked than Judah 
to punish Judah. I don't get it, Habakkuk says. How do you harmonize that with God's nature? He says you can't even look at evil. You can't even look or approve at evil. So why are you looking with favor towards them? And again, that's Habakkuk's idea of what's going on here. A wicked nation is getting the upper hand in world affairs. And, you know, this wasn't a lack of faith in God on Habakkuk's part, but it's a, you know, it's an incomplete understanding of God's holiness, of God's justice. And again, we need to be reminded that, you know, we don't understand all of those things that are going on in this world. I'm reminded of what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 11, verse 33. You know, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. Right? We just can't understand the great depth of what's going on in the knowledge of God. Yet he's got all of these things in motion and Habakkuk is questioning these things. Well, look at chapter two as we move into chapter two, because God's going to answer uh, Habakkuk's question uh, this time. By letting him know that the wicked will be destroyed, but the righteous, the righteous will live by faith. You know, Habakkuk says in verse 1, I've made my case and I'm going to sit back and listen to what you have to say, God. And chapter 2, starting in verse 2, then the Lord answered me and said, record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens towards the goal and it will not fail Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. I like some other translations. Maybe yours says, uh, make it so plain or make it so clear, right? Habakkuk, write it down. Make it so clear and plain that everyone who reads it is going to run with it and is going to go out and preach it, right? That's what preaching is all about, is making the thing of God so clear to others. And then look at verse 4 through 5. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. Furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man so that he does not stay at home. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol, and he is like death, never satisfied. He also gathers to himself all nations and collects to himself all peoples. Again, that verse there, Chapter 2, verse 4, the righteous will live by his faith. This is an important verse because three times in the New Testament, New Testament writers use it, quote it. Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, again in Galatians chapter 3, verse 11, and the Hebrews writer in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, all quote this verse from the book of Habakkuk, that the righteous will live by faith. And he contradicts that with those, the Chaldeans, who are proud and haughty. They're drunk on their own power. And he's going to give them, basically, throughout the rest of this chapter, he's going to give them these five different woes. And I put those up on the board again. Again, we're not going to take the time to read each one of those. But verses 6 through 8, he gives them the first woe. He says, woe to those who take what is not theirs. The Chaldeans were those who were taking the land of those they had no right. And they were overtaxing the people. And so God says, woe to that. And then he says, woe to those who swindle and cheat. Verses 9 through 11. Woe to them who make themselves secure by profiting off the stolen goods of others. As a matter of fact, in verse 10, he said that by you doing that, you are sinning against yourself by cutting off many people. You're sinning against yourself by doing these things. Verses 12 through 14, he gives them another woe. Woe to those who live by bloodshed and violence. You know, they're merciless, he says. 
they go in and they build these cities with bloodshed. Woe to them. And verses 15 through 17, he gives them uh, once again another woe. Woe to those who disgrace and humiliate others. He talks at first about how they would intoxicate their neighbors to take advantage of them. Right? They're showing no morality. They're, they're immoral. Woe to you because of that. And then finally, in verses 18 through 20, woe to you because of idol worship. Let's read a couple of these verses, starting in verse 18. What prophet is the idol when his maker has carved it, or an image, a teacher of falsehood? For its maker trusts in its own handiwork when he fashions speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, awake, to a mute stone, arise, and that is your teacher? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all inside of it. You know, Habakkuk is saying... Idols are worthless. They're ridiculous. But then he says in verse 20, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. We've probably heard that verse before. Let all the earth be silent before him. God is the one who is alive. Listen to him. Submit to him in reverence. So basically throughout this whole chapter, chapter 2, God's giving us a summary, basically letting us know, or letting Habakkuk know, the Babylonians are going to get what's coming to them. Right? They too will face punishment for what they've done. I've just given you five different woes, he says, reasons for their destruction. I'm not turning a deaf ear to what's going on in the world. I am not closing my eyes uh, to, again, what these things are going on. But the, their punishment is going to be on my timetable when the time is right. And now Habakkuk has a greater perspective a greater perspective. Again, the righteous will live by faith. He says, remain faithful to me. Let all the earth be silent. Right? Submit reverently to him. Habakkuk now understands. And then in chapter 3, again, we have this psalm or a prayer. That basically, to sum it all up, it says, since God is all powerful and all good, Habakkuk says, I will accept whatever happens and I will rejoice in God. Look at verse 2. Lord, I have heard the report about you, and I fear. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember me. I've heard your speech, God. I've heard the things that you've said, and it causes me to fear. Right? Uh, in your righteous wrath, he says, he pleads, remember me. Be merciful when you judge. Yes, I know that the people need to be disciplined, but remember me. Be merciless, merciful. Verses 3 through 15, uh, he goes on to give a vision of God. And I uh, invite you to read that here maybe uh, later on. But skip down to verse 16. Verse 16. I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones, and in my place I tremble because I must wait quietly for the days of distress, for the people who arise who will invade us. Habakkuk is trembling at the idea of what is going to soon take place to the nation. But he says, God is in control. Right? Though I know what is coming, that day of distress is going to be terrifying, that you're going to use the, the Chaldeans, the Babylonian nation, to punish us, I understand that you are in control. 
And verses 17 through 19 are really one of the greatest statements of faith that you can find in all of Scripture. Look at what Habakkuk writes here in verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. That is a great statement, a genuine statement of faith. I will wait on you, Lord. I will trust in you. I will praise you. You are my strength. Even if everything is taken away from me in this life. You know, we might say, even if there's no food on the table, no clothes on my back, no money in my bank account, still I am going to trust in you, God. And there's a calmness now to Habakkuk's soul that we can really read here. At the beginning of this letter, you know, he, he was worried. He was um, lodging his complaints towards God. But now he says, whatever happens, whatever happens, I am going to trust in you. I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to praise you. You are my strength. As we sort of conclude this lesson tonight, you know, it's, it's not wrong to ask questions. It's not wrong to ask questions, but some questions have answers, you know, that we're just not capable of understanding. You know, I'd point you again to Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Again, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. We must continue, as Habakkuk teaches us here, to wait patiently and quietly on the Lord. So many great verses in, in this book. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. You know, this book, this letter is dealing with the problem of evil. And specifically, again, why God didn't, from a human standpoint, again, from a human standpoint, why did not God punish the evildoers in a timely manner? But also, when he does punish the wicked, why is he using men that are more evil to destroy those who are less evil? And God answers the prophet basically in this letter that evil will be punished and those who remain faithful to God will live. In other words, though God's ways are difficult to understand, we must trust that he will ultimately, ultimately reward or punish each person or nation as he or it deserves. You know, again, it might seem that he is rooting for our rivals, but he's not. Habakkuk says he's not. He is rooting for the faithful. This evening we ask, are you part of the faithful? Uh, if we can help you in any way this evening as we offer the invitation, if you need the prayers of this congregation, uh, if you need the strength from this co congregation, the encouragement, we'd love the opportunity to help you in any way here tonight. Or if you're ready to become a Christian, to put Christ on in baptism, we'd love the opportunity again to study with you or to help assist you with that. The Bible tells us to that we must believe that Jesus is the Son of God to repent of our sins and confess Him as Lord and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. And at that point, the Lord will add you to His church. If we can help you in any way as we extend the invitation tonight, please let us know as together we stand and sing.